Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. For our past few broadcasts now, for several months, we've been talking about subjects that are preeminently practical in the life of the Christian, the matter of confessing Christ, assurance of salvation, the matters of uh, soul winning, sanctification, and other things. And today our special subject is prayer. Now, we have delayed until this point in the Theological Seminar in discussing these matters because of the overabundance or superabundance of discussion that is already apparent on the radio waves and the uh, television channels of today's Christianity. The element that's missing from today's Christianity is straight, hard preaching of sound doctrine. That is, the doctrinal emphasis has gone all together, and what you're getting today on radio and television from morning to night is a soft, practical, devotional, spiritualized, in many cases, sort of a a leavened, watered-down swap that deals with humanism. But if the entire emphasis has been on your relationship to the Lord and the Lord's relationship to you personally, this personal, devotional, psychological, spiritualized, leaven type of thing is popular because it never crosses anybody's grain on what they believe. And for this, uh, because of this, we have spent over 80 lessons to establish and root and ground the Christian in sound doctrine. You remember, of course, our 24 broadcasts on the uh, Holy Spirit, our 34 broadcasts on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our 24 broadcasts on God the Father, and another 20 broadcasts on angels, man, creation, the Bible. These subjects fall under the heading of theology, Christology, pneumatology, anthropology, soteriology, demonology, and eschatology. We have now come to the practical aspects of the Christian life. Now, lesson today deals with the subject of prayer. Prayer is speaking or talking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for all things lawful and needful. With humble confidence, we shall obtain them to the mediation and merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Prayer, says Dr. Frost, is worship addressed to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer should consist of at least four parts. First of all, adoration. That is, prayer should be the act of the soul worshiping and praising God. Psalm 95, 6. Secondly, confession. That is, repentance from every known sin and confession of sin, as we find it in Psalm 32 and 1 John chapter 1. Thirdly, thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be thankful for anything, be thankful for everything. And finally, supplication. That is, intercession, requests, petitions, or desires, wants or needs expressed to the Father. 1 Timothy 2, 1. Our prayer should be directed to God the Father, Acts 12, 5, in the name of Jesus Christ, John 14, 13, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Now, where to pray, when to pray? First of all, where to pray? First Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. There's no condition on where to pray. Thank God there isn't. If prayer was only confined to temples and churches and chapels by the wayside, you'd certainly be in a mess if you were in a burning building or in a sinking ship. Prayer can be made everywhere at all times. When to pray? Always. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, men always ought to pray and not to faint. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. We should have private prayer in a small secret place along with God. 
We should have family prayer with a small group in our family, and we should have public prayer before the church, the congregation. Where to pray? Alone with God, private prayer, with the family in the home, family prayer, and public prayer. Now, this is very clear. Private prayer can be between you and the Lord anywhere. Family prayer is at home, and public prayer is like in the church or the temple, like where we read Luke 18:10. two men went up to the temple to pray. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. Men ought to pray everywhere and at any time, continuing instant in prayer. That means on the spot, continually, as the need emerges at the time, without wasting any time about it. Now, this is very, very important. We had a dirty comedian out in Hollywood one time make a movie called, Oh God. Uh, the title of that movie is The Basic Prayer That Every Man Prays When He Dies. That's what Mahanda, Mahatma Gandhi said when he was shot. As a matter of fact, that old expression, Oh God, is sound of forth from so many battlefields, you couldn't count it. It would take a jaded, superstitious fool indeed to think that a thing like that was anything short of blasphemy. And I might add, a very inexperienced novice. Any man with any experience in trouble knows that when men get in trouble and about to die or being tortured to death, they cry, Oh, my God, whether they have one or not. You kick an atheist out of a plane at 2,000 feet, he'll be screaming, Oh, my God, till he hits the ground. Like a fellow said to a man one time, he said, I'm an atheist, and my father was an atheist, and thank God I'm an atheist. When Fatty Khrushchev came to the United States and walked around and somebody told him God is with us, he said, God is with us too. <laughs> Not a fine thing for an atheist to say. An atheist was drowning one time and a preacher pulled him out of the water, and when he pulled him out of the water, he told him he rebuked the atheist for his double standard and said, I heard you yelling, oh my God, while you're drowning, what are you calling upon God for when you don't believe in one? And the man who was rescued said, well, there ought to be one for a fellow when he gets in a jam like that. Now, I guarantee when the great Walendo fell off his tightrope and started groundward, he wasn't praying, Our Father of a chart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I guarantee when his body came hurtling 130 feet down to that cement and people began to spread underneath it, they weren't praying, Our Father of a chart in heaven or Hail Mary. You know what they say? They say, Oh, my God. The prayer is instant on the spot. And some of you people that use GD as a regular expression better watch your step. When you ask God to damn a thing, one of these days he might just take you up on it. That's one of the first things I do when I get in the plane is ask God to take all the dams and curses off the plane and bless the plane so I can get home safely. You say you're superstitious. Well, I've been over 40,000 miles a year by air for 28 years and landed with my bag so far. Maybe I'm not as superstitious as you think I am. A person ought to pray anytime, any place, anywhere, and be ready to pray. That is, you ought to be praying grounds. A man at any moment ought to be able to preach on the spot, pray on the spot, or die on the spot. The final prayer is, O oh my God, which is rapidly reduced to O oh God, which is rapidly reduced to O. Now, when that comedian who made that movie out in Hollywood finally dies on the hospital bed, if he has his senses about him and is not under too many drugs, the last thing he'll pray will be, O oh God. It's nothing you joke about, brother. You get in the car being banged on the track by a railroad train, there's no joke to it. 
You get a hurricane coming through your town at 200 miles an hour, I'll guarantee the Lord to hear a lot of strange voices that night than he ever heard in the Wednesday night prayer meeting at any place in town. You should be ready to pray on the spot. When Peter is caught on the spot and sinking, he says, Oh, Lord, save me. Three words. Lord, save me. That's a good prayer. He doesn't pull out an Episcopalian prayer book and run to the prayer book and the thumbed index to find what kind of a prayer a commercial fisherman should pray when he's drowning. He says, Lord, save me. You ought to be praying grounds any time, any place, anywhere. Men always ought to pray and not to faint. David said he'll pray in the morning. He'll pray in the morning. Quote Psalm 5:3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer to thee and will look up. At noon and evening he prayed. In Psalm 55:17, David said, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He prayed every day. In Psalm 86:3, David said, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to thee daily, and not only in the daytime, but at nighttime. In Psalm 88, verse 1, David said, O Lord God, I have cried day and night before thee. Daniel prayed three times a day, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and he was president over three presidents and 120 provinces. Daniel had more on his shoulders to take care of than the president of the United States, and he took time to pray three times a day. Do you pray? Do you keep a prayer list? Do you keep a record of God answers to prayer? What is your prayer life like? I'm not talking about your faith to get rich. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your fellowship with the Lord where you talk to him and he speaks to you through his word. One time a little girl said to her daddy, she said, Daddy, is God dead? And the daddy said, No, honey. And she said, Well, I just wanted I don't hear you talking to him like you used to anymore. Now, what are the subjects for prayer? Well, all kinds of things. First of all, we ought to pray for the second coming of Christ. The last prayer in the Bible is not for the gifts of the Holy Ghost. The last prayer in the Bible is not for blessing. The last prayer in the not Bible is not for anybody to get saved. And certainly the not prayer in the last Bible, the last prayer in the Bible is certainly not for anybody to get healed. The last prayer in the Bible is for Jesus Christ to come back. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We ought to pray for the will of the Lord for our lives. We should pray for our daily bread for forgiveness of our sins, for guidance, for victory over temptation and sin. All these things are proper subjects for prayer. The idea that you can just uh, suddenly give $10 and get 15 back and get rich is a psychological gimmick that con men are using to gaff the act with today. You pray for more than that, brethren. You're supposed to pray for God to forgive your sins, for victory over temptation of the devil, for guidance. You're to pray for all men in First Timothy 2. You're to pray for a longer life in Isaiah 38. You're to pray for personal safety in Daniel 6. You're to pray for wisdom, understanding, clothing, shelter, food, prosperous journeys, and pray for the people you don't like. The Bible says, pray for your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Bless and curse not. Christians should pray. They should pray for the sick, James 5:13. They should pray for people in authority, their senators, their congressmen, their mayors, their governors, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. They should pray for the salvation of sinners. For the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They should pray for a longer life, Isaiah 38, 1 to 5, they might be more useful and bear more fruit. They should pray for personal safety and the safety of others. Daniel and David were constantly praying to be delivered from their enemies. The Christians should pray for wisdom and understanding, like Solomon prayed in 1 Kings 3. We read in James, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, 
that giveth to all men, and giveth liberally to all men, let him ask, and it shall be given him. If you lack wisdom, ask God for it. You should pray for clothing, shelter, and food. You should pray for a prosperous journey, like Paul prayed for a prosperous journey to Rome in Romans 1, verse 10. You should pray for immature Christians to grow up and get out of Corinthians and Acts and get into Romans and Galatians. In Colossians 1.28, Paul was praying for every Christian to be made perfect in Jesus Christ and grow up to where he could learn how to live by faith and not by sight and get over this carnal Corinthian gift business and get going for God. We should pray for those who despitefully use us, Matthew 5.38. We should pray for those who persecute us. We should pray for our enemies, Matthew 5, verse 40 to 48. And we should pray especially for our pastors and elders and bishops, those who are over us in the ministry. Notice 1 Timothy 5.17. 1 Timothy 5.17 is the duty of the congregation, the member of the congregation, to pray for those in charge of the congregation. Now, how to pray? Well, we should be guided, first of all, by the Bible in our praying. Any praying that is not according to what God said is not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the unholy spirit. We should be guided by the... Bible, what it says, we must pray with faith in the existence of God. The Bible said, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. We must believe that God rewards faithful intercession. For the same verse, Hebrews 11:6 says, And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there must be persistence in prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us two great illustrations of this, uh, this persistence in prayer, which is sometimes called importunity. And these places are found in Luke 18:1 to 8 and Luke 11, verse 1 to 13. The persistent knocker received the bread. We must pray with humility. The Lord said, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Although we can come boldly to the throne of grace for the merits of Jesus Christ, we don't come boldly in the sense of audaciously or arrogantly. We come boldly in the sense to become in as sons who have a loving, kindly Heavenly Father as a member of the family. We don't have to go to the doorkeeper and the ambassadors and the secretaries and the vice secretaries and the bodyguards like the people in South America and Mexico do. We just walk in the front office. And when we come to pray, we should confess our sins and judge them. Paul said if we judge our sins, uh, we would not be judged. When we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord. We should not be condemned of the world. There is no way to have fellowship with God in prayer with unconfessed sin in your life. John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what are the conditions of prayer? First of all, we must pray in the will of God. Notice Jesus prayed, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You, of course, cannot ever find the will of God unless you study your Bible and find out what the will of God is from the Word of God. Second condition, we must forgive others before God will hear and answer our prayers. Jesus said in Mark 11:25, When you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any. And we must pray in faith, believing. Mark 11:24 says, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. James said, Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. The fourth condition is keeping the Lord's commandments, and not only doing this, by doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. Many Christians have a funny idea if they go to church and tithe and read the Bibles and uh, share their experience, they're obeying God. The condition for answered prayer, according to 1 John 3.22, is do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, how can you expect to answer the prayer when you know the displeasing things in your life that displease God? 
Now, I don't have to preach about this very long. I'll talk about this when we talk about hindrances to prayer. But you know in your life what pleases God and what doesn't. All right, the conditions for prayer are abiding in Christ and praying in Jesus' name. Jesus said, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Now, there's some great prayer promises in the Bible. And before we talk about hindrances to prayer, I want to give you these prayer promises. You might like to write them down. These are prayer promises. First of all, Mark 11:24. Secondly, John 15:7. Thirdly, Ephesians 3:12-20. Fourthly, Philippians 4:6. Fifthly, Philippians 4:19. Sixthly, Matthew 7:7 7, 7 and 8. Seventh, Luke 11:9-13. And 8, Hebrews 4.16. Now, I'll give these references again if you didn't have time to write them down. Mark 11.24. First John 5, verse 14 and 15. Ephesians 3, verse 12 to 20. Philippians 4.6. Philippians 4.19, Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8, Luke 11, verse 9 to 13, and Hebrews 4, verse 16. Now, the most important part of this matter of prayer is what we call hindrances to prayer, because it's perfectly apparent that everybody should pray. That's apparent. Only the self-important and the self-satisfied and the self-occupied are indifferent to prayer. It stands to reason that prayer wrought more things this world dreams of, and if we knew how many prayers were answered daily, we'd probably faint. So there's no need to impress upon you the necessity of prayer. The point is, when we pray, very often our prayers are not answered in the affirmative, and we need to know why. Now, this is best stated in Isaiah 59, verse 1 to 2, where we read, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. This brings up the matter of unanswered prayer. First of all, selfishness. James says, You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. The average prayer by the average Christian day in America is for two things, money and good health. For what? If you have good health, will you go out and walk the streets and pass out tracks? If you have good health, will you go on visitation? You want money? What do you do with the money if you get it? Will you spend it all on motorboats and dog food? You have not because you ask not. You ask to receive not but you, because you ask amiss. One of the greatest hindrances to prayer is selfishness. Nextly, double-mindedness. David said, or James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his way. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. If you're praying for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, when he does, you find you don't get along with these people that brag about the gifts of the Holy Ghost, you may decide you don't want to be filled with the Holy Spirit after all. You pray to ask God to fear the Holy Spirit and find that it causes trouble down where you work and trouble your relatives, you may decide to go back on it. 
I tell you what we're like. We're blow hot one day and cold the next. We're typified by the carpenter that slid down a roof of a ten-story building screaming, Oh, my God, help me. Oh, my God, help me. And about that time, his overalls caught in a large nail sticking to the roof and arrested his downward plunge. And he breathed a sigh of relief and said, Oh, that's all right, Lord. The nails got me. We, in, we incline to be like that. When there's trouble in the family and we're sick, then we pray. When the children are trouble, then we pray. When you're going to get laid off at work or can't pay the bills, we pray. And then when the clouds lift and the rainbow comes out and the skies are sunny, we quit praying. One of the hints to prayer is an unforgiving spirit. Dwight L. Moody, a letter lady the one time to the Lord that had no assurance of salvation. When Dwight L. Moody wanted to find out what the trouble was, he had to repeat the Lord's prayer. And when he got to the part where it said, Forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us, she wouldn't repeat it. When he insisted, she repeated, and she didn't. He said, what's the trouble? And that woman screamed, I'll never forgive that woman as long as I live. And when Moody reminded her that unless she would, God wouldn't forgive her, she said, do you mean to tell me after what that woman did to me, I've got to forgive her? And he said, no, I don't mean to tell you that. I mean, God told you that. That Bible says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And many of these Christians talk about love. Now, you mark what I'm saying. And they're always worried about preachers not showing love. Now, you mark what I'm saying. When you find a Christian that's always upset about a preacher not showing love, you're dealing with a rabid mad dog who shoot that preacher in cold blood for 15 cents if he could get away with it. Now, you mark what I'm saying. There isn't a hypocrite in America who complains about preachers not having love, who doesn't have a heart of hatred toward sound doctrine and direct application of straight Bible truth. And he'll not forgive you for pointing out his sins. All right, something else. Grudges. The Bible says, Grudge not, brethren, the judge stands at the door. Some Christians are so mean, if a dog better than they'd follow him ten years to bite him back, I believe. Christian can be some of the meanest critters in the face of this earth, and you'd better believe it. I preach up and down this country now for 29 years in over 700 churches, and if I know one thing, I know Christians. Let me tell you, boys and girls, I know them. I preach in the Assembly of God churches, the Church of God churches, the Pentecostal churches, the Methodist churches, the Wesleyan Methodist churches, the Southern Methodist churches, the Presbyterian churches, the Cumberland Presbyterian churches, the Bible Presbyterian churches, the Northern Baptist churches, the Southern Baptist churches, the Conservative Baptist churches, the German Baptist churches, the Free Will Baptist churches, the Primitive Baptist churches. And I may be a mighty stupid man about a lot of things, but church people ain't one of them. I've been in congregations where there were two deacons hadn't spoken to each other for 17 years, and they both attended the same church every Sunday. You say, what are they doing deacon meetings? They came in one door and went out the other. I've been in churches where a third of the congregation sat in the balcony because they had a fight with two-thirds of the congregation that sat downstairs. I preach in churches where a man has got up in the front pew and hauled out a switchblade and told the people back there to sit down and shut up and let him hear the sermon. I preach in churches where there were mobs waiting to get us outside because the pastor rebuked some teenager who was laughing and horsing around during the service. Don't tell me, I'll tell you. I've got friends in the ministry with that Christian slit their tires, shoot their hound dogs, threaten to burn down their houses. 
I've been threatened by lawsuits with God's people, taken to court six times, and people threatened to shoot me with guns and stab me with knives and God knows what. You say, what do you think? I could care less. I enjoy fishing when able to, when able to go. I know Christians. And some of the meanest devils in the face of this earth are people who have been saved but can't stand straight, hard, sound Bible preaching, and I hold a grudge against a preacher or deacon or church member for 45 years. Now, you better believe it. If you don't, you'll have to add the gas to God to forgive you for rejecting the truth. All right, that isn't all. The grudges have to go. The bitterness has to go. The Bible says, Other be not bitter against your wives. Be heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You'll find that in Colossians 3 and 1 Peter chapter 3. A fellow said to me one time, he said, If you knew what kind of wife I had, you wouldn't say that. I told him, I said, God knows what kind of wife you had, and he said it. We had a southern brother over here in Mobile that said to the judge, when the judge accused him of desertion, he said, Ioana, he said, Ioana, he said, I ain't no deserter. He said, if you know that woman like I know that woman, you wouldn't call me no desert. I was a refugee. <laughs> I suppose a lot of that, but husbands have to give up their bitterness against their wives, or their prayers are going to be hindered. Now, that's going to be it. And that's the way things stand. Double-mindedness, selfishness, grudges, unforgiving, spirit, bitterness, and displeasing things can prevent God from answering prayer in your life. Now, who would want God not to answer prayer in their life who had any sense? Uh, who of you I'm talking to right now who gets this whacking big power and light bill every month with it going up all the time and in the, in the grip of a totalitarian fascist dictatorship where you can't even decide what you're going to pay and they can jack it up any time they want to jack it up or your telephone bill without anybody voting about nothing? Who in this government of the people, by the people, for the people, where the people never voted anything, who doesn't need prayer these days? Would you tell me that? They put income income taxes on you without your vote. They put enforced racial mixing on you without your vote. Why, they didn't ask you to vote about nothing. They just slammed it down your throat. This country's in trouble. And who in this country is in trouble doesn't know that this country has on its coins in God we trust. If you don't trust in God, trust Him. If you don't trust His Son for your salvation, give up your own righteousness and trust His righteousness for your salvation. If you don't trust Him for your food, clothing, shelter, and your sustenance, and your joy, and your living, start trusting Him today. And morning, noon, and evening, pour out your prayer before Him, or as Paul says, in everything, with supplication and prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be known, made known to God, and the peace of God that passes full understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Claim the promises. My God shall supply all your need through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Claim the promises. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and come boldly to the throne of grace daily to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And he has said, My grace is sufficient for thee.